You're listening to Nursing Review Radio. I'm health editor Dallas Bastian, and I'm joined by Adam Walzak from the University of Sydney to discuss his research into a nurse-led communication support program for patients with advanced incurable cancer to assist them in discussing prognosis and end-of-life care. Thank you for joining me, Adam. Not a problem. Why was the program initially set up? Um, So the program's kind of um, set up based on a couple of findings from the research um, and I suppose insights from clinical practice around how these kinds of discussions usually happen for um, for patients with advanced cancer. So um, it's probably most common for patients to not discuss uh, particularly their end-of-life care preferences until very late in their disease trajectory. So um, usually they're raised for the first time um, at the point of a crisis admission to palliative care, if they indeed connect with palliative care, um, or in a context where there's kind of a real imperative to have these discussions quickly um, and use those those decisions straight away, which can be quite stressful not only for the patients but also for their caregivers who might be the ones that are called upon to make those decisions without ever really having discussed those um, the, the patient's preferences with them uh, before that time. Um, prognosis is also something that's not often discussed uh, clearly early, um, so patients may not get a clear picture that they are, in fact, um, likely to die from their illness until um, that death is quite imminent. So those are the sort of the, the key um, the key findings that um, from the the clinical side of things that informed the development of the program, um, but also the findings that patients are quite keen to have these discussions. There there can be some um, I suppose trepidation amongst clinicians that having these discussions will destroy the patient's hope or it will have negative impacts on the um, their clinical relationship with the patient, but there's there's plenty of evidence from the literature that that's just not the case, and the patients are actually more often than not quite keen to understand what their prognosis actually is, and to also have uh, robust discussions about what they want and what they don't want towards the end of life. What was the role of the nurse in the program, and and what were they provided with to help support the communication? So the role of the nurse was to basically, uh, I suppose you could say it's almost like upskilling the patient um, and their carer wherever possible to um, be in the best place to have these discussions, to know what questions to ask, to sort of feel that they're normal to have these discussions. Um, So the nurse um, would meet with the patient at two particular times. So there was a face-to-face session that was done with with the patient um, and often with their caregiver in the, uh, the medical centre where we ran the trial and um, they would discuss the patients, uh, sort of what their situation was in terms of their illness, um, what their previous experience of communicating about um, prognosis and end-of-life care would be. They also dis- um, discussed and introduced a question prompt list which we specifically intru- uh, specifically developed for the program. So a question prompt list is um, a list of questions thematically structured um, in a small booklet that the patients can um, can look through, pick up the things that they'd like to talk to their, their clinician about um, and sort of note them to ask at the next consultation or, or whenever they want to into the future. 
They also gave some additional resources to help um, patients navigate those those discussions. So uh, we gave them a brief DVD um, that focused on, uh, I suppose, normalising the uh, process of discuss uh, of advanced care planning, um, and also some um, forms and things related to uh, sort of nominating. Um, nominating substitute decision makers and um, powers of attorney and things like that in New South Wales. So that was the role of the nurse. In terms of the training that they received, um, they the, the program is actually fully manualised. So um, it was one thing that we recognised as a potential issue from some of the previous research done in this field was that uh, a few programs reported being actually thoroughly manualised so they could be replicated or implemented in other settings. So we developed a, a, a training manual for the nurses and they, they were taken through that um, over the course of about 40 hours of um, intensive training. Um, so that involved reading the manual, um, practicing the various aspects of the program through, um, through training with simulated patients um, and then reviewing the, any sort of sticking points where they felt that they um, they weren't able to deliver the program clearly. And I think I may have skipped over as well the second time point that the, the, um, the, the patient met with the nurse. So mm -hmm. uh, the other time point is a, a telephone-based follow-up that was done about two weeks after the patient um, met with the nurse in the face-to-face -face session just to reinforce the key messages of the session, uh, of the face-to-face -face session, sorry, and to also um, give patient skills to be able to review the question prompt list and prepare for future discussions. With their, with their oncologist. What were some improvements in, in communication or, or benefits for the patient uh, revealed through the study? So the, pro the, the findings of the, the randomised trial that we did were a little bit mixed. Um, so we found that patients were uh, better able to give cues that they wish to discuss certain facets of, of um, end-of-life planning. Um, and, and prognosis. So we found overall that they gave more cues just in general, um, that they wanted to discuss certain things, um, that they gave more cues about prognosis, wanting, about wanting to discuss prognosis, end-of-life care, um, and also um, you know, cues about wanting to discuss the future care that they were going to receive. So you know, what options might be available to them if, if the current treatment failed and that sort of thing. So they didn't ask extra questions, which is quite an unusual finding, particularly for um, the, the field of question prompt lists. Um, they also, uh, we found that they were um, more confident that they knew what questions they could ask their, um, their, their uh, oncologist in the future. So those are the two key findings in terms of improved communication. We haven't yet analysed the data to um, to see whether or not those cues that they gave during the, the consultation that they that we recorded for the the trial um, actually led to more robust discussion of um, of those particular issues. So whether or not the oncologist actually picked up on those cues and um, and carried on the discussion with that, but that's certainly something we're going to explore in the future. Um, 
more generally, uh, we did do a, um, an analysis of how patients responded to receiving these uh, these prompts from the nurse and the, the program from the nurse, and found that the, pa- the patients were quite positive about the um, the program and quite positive about the messages that were in there about how it, it's normal to have to want to have discussions about your prognosis and to have discussions about the care that you want to receive and don't want to receive in the future. So I feel that that's quite a positive benefit is normalising communicating about those things as well. What reactions did you receive from the the nurses involved? Um, They found it quite... quite a positive thing to develop uh, to deliver this program but also challenging at different times as well um, you know there, there were certainly some patients that were uh, trickier to draw out about whether or not they wanted to discuss these things um, and and what experiences they had in the, in the past so I mean it's a it's a confronting thing to have somebody sit down in a room with you and say you know today we're going to talk about prognosis and, and why you should communicate about it I mean it wasn't delivered in, in blunt terms like that but it was it was certainly something that was confronting for the patients and caregivers. But the, um, the the feedback that we got was that it was a positive thing overall to be able to go in and give people the skills and the confidence that they can go and talk to their, their oncologist about these things, which are genuine concerns for them. So um, challenging, but also rewarding to deliver this program. You mentioned earlier that the, the study's findings were mixed. Uh, would you mm. suggest any tweaks to the program or any further research to explore the different facets of that? Um, one of the things that we found was um, quite variable in terms of our findings was whether or not the oncologists who were um, participating in the, the recorded consultations that were done with um, following delivery of the program didn't consistently um, endorse patients asking questions, so saying, you know, have, have you got any questions today? Um, what, what things might be on your mind that I can, that I can answer? Um, and they also didn't consistently endorse the question prompt list, which is from previous, from the previous literature, is quite a critical thing. Um, you know, there, there's a need for the oncologist to say, now I, I understand that you've got a, 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 a list of questions there that, um, that you might like to ask. Um, it's really important that you get the opportunity to ask those. Are there any that you want to talk about today? So that's that's something that in the past has been found to be quite critical. Um, and unfortunately, now in our trial, we didn't find that that was done consistently, uh, which may have impacted the um, the likelihood that patients would actually ask questions during the consultation. So I feel that the addition of probably some um, some more robust training for oncologists to be able to do that endorsement. Um, and invite questions well is probably would probably be beneficial, um, and certainly some of our colleagues in the United States have recently um, done a trial, a similar trial, um, using a similar patient-focused paradigm, but with the addition of um, of uh, training for oncologists too, um, and that seems to have shown some slightly more robust results than ours. How easy would it be for other organisations to to adopt this program or or a similar program and what should they keep in mind if doing so? Um, I think that the the design of the program was um, certainly, it certainly kept um, the existing nurse roles that would be in in most oncology clinics in mind. Um, So from the point of view of finding an appropriate person in um, in a clinical setting to deliver this program, it would be quite easy, um, I would think. You know, we, we basically, we, 
to staff the trial, we recruited nurses who had who were slightly more senior, had good clinical communication skills themselves, and then just delivered the training to them. And they were we found that with that training um, and a very small amount of sort of follow up um, to check in on on the sort of um, the how closely they were sticking to the program, they were able to deliver it really well um, and and hit all of the targets in, in the majority of sessions in terms of what they wanted to discuss. So finding the people to do it and, and um, delivering the training should be fairly straightforward. I would hesitate, though, to recommend that it's something that's implemented straight away because of the, um, the mixed findings that we got. I feel that it needs more investigation to understand um, why we got the findings that we got. Um, and to look at other opportunities to, to upskill um, the, the clinicians involved in actually responding to these patients' concerns um, so that the, the quality of discussion that they get out of asking these questions is really high. Um, I think also there's a resourcing issue. I mean, uh, the, the overall program involved approximately one hour of additional contact with most patients. Um, so, you know, the face-to-face -face session was about 45 minutes. Um, and the uh, the follow-up phone call was about 15 minutes. So those things could potentially be rolled into somebody's workload, but I doubt that it would be possible without um, you know, some additional resourcing to make sure that there was dedicated um, personnel to deliver the program. Um, I suppose the, the good thing from, from this trial is that the program is manualised. The training is, is quite um, straightforward to deliver. Um, so it could be rolled out but needs some further investigation.